It's just a t-shirt, but not just any t-shirt. Over the years, there's been a shirt that's a smash between Grateful Dead and Black Flag, a shirt you kind of just stare at because you're not entirely sure what it is. It's incredibly hard to find, and once you find it, it's gone. And it's designed by my guest this week. And the stories behind how it was created stretch nearly as long as the amount of folks who obsess over his designs, including John Mayer. But if you know, you know, and for some reason, after you see it, it's all you want to know. It's the wonders of Black Flag, and together we can discover them. Get ready to go deep this week. It's the king of merch, Mr. Jeremy Dean. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. My guest this week is the artist Jeremy Dean, a.k.a. Dean's Nuts. Jeremy and I discuss how growing up with punk music and skateboarding influences his work, designing merch for musicians from Dead and Company to the Rolling Stones and Elton John, and how he went from bootlegging t-shirts to becoming the undeniable goat of merch. I definitely wanted to chat with you about your sort of lineage, because I think a lot of people know all of your work, all of your art, all your designs, uh, but they know nothing about you. But I... in a, in a weird way, I think you have inadvertently been a part of everyone's merch life. And even, you know, we can talk about the earlier days in Philly with the stuff you were doing. You've just been like a part of it and making so much of the culture that everyone loves and idolizes, but never, you know, were making the connection that they were really loving and idolizing you. You would use the words loving and idolizing? Absolutely. Oh that's i we can just sort of stop the thing right now can't we that's it <laughs> all right that's, the, that's, that's it everyone that's the that's the peak we've reached the peak here you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what do you yeah okay all right i'll go with that um so where do you want me to start well i mean i do want to talk about how you found your way to house industries and and oh, explain okay. a little bit about house and sure. who they are okay um, well, I went to, I ended up going to, ended up going to art school. Where are you from originally? I'm from, uh, right outside of Philadelphia. Okay. I'm from a town called North Wales, which is probably 25 minutes from where I actually live right now. There you go. I went to school in Baltimore my freshman year, realized for art, art school, realized that I didn't love their design program decided to transfer back to Philadelphia and go to Temple University's art school, which is Tyler School of Art. There, I kind of met a small group of friends who I really got along with, who were also designers and were incredibly influential on me, just in general, pushing me forward. I needed the, that group of people, right? I needed that group of people to kind of help me think about what I was doing, look at what I was doing and go, man, that sucks. And look at their stuff and go, and go, oh my God, like I got to do something here, you know, yeah. because otherwise forget it. Right. Um, what were you making that sucked? Everything, you know, <laughs> like. I mean, as far as I mean, really, like I, I think that every, you know, everything I was doing at the time, I was just like, man, this is just brutally bad. Like, and, but I, and I didn't actually have that as much 
my freshman year of college. Like I was looking at other people's stuff and I was like, oh, I'm not that great. And, but then, but there wasn't any like one person that was really like, I saw them and I went, oh my God, like, what am I doing? Like, maybe I should not even be doing this. Mm. And so I met a couple of people. One of them, his name is Alan Mercer, who was the guy that introduced me to Andy and Rich, who started, had started House Industries probably, or actually before it was House Industries, it was a company called Brand Design. And it was a mm. small design. Like they, these two guys, they were friends. They had met at a, another ad agency in, in Delaware. Alan worked summers uh, with them. And he had said, hey, my friends are breaking out of their full-time positions, taking some clients with them and starting this little ad agency. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And like, and it also was kind of freaky to me just because Andy um, was exactly my age. And here I am kind of flailing in art school, figuring out like how I want to go about this. And he's already like, had been working, didn't take this, you know, traditional college route, had already kind of figured things out and was already starting his own business at 20 years old or whatever it was. And right. I'm just going like, what are you talking about? Your, you know, your friend's starting his own business. That's insane to me. So we kind of go through school. And during that time, he also says, so there's a couple guys, there's Ken, barber who's still at house industries still like they're sort of mean type guy he um, mm -hmm. is an incredible uh illustrator designer typographer was another person that really pushed me while i was in school when i saw his stuff i went oh god like it just was sort of like def like it kind of deflated me but at the same time really pushed me so we became friends i was friends with ken alan um another woman named nicole uh, Michaels, who is a great illustrator um, and ended up designing some house fonts at some point as well. Mm -hmm. um, all real, they really pushed me. But during that time of me kind of pushing myself and looking at what they're doing, I hear from Alan, he says, oh, my friends that started their design agency, they're going to start a type company too. Now at that time, whatever it was, 1993, mm -hmm. digital type foundries were fairly, like a fairly new thing. Not everybody had a Mac. Not everybody was, you know, using like, just like, I got creative cloud. You know what I mean? Like not yeah. everybody had Illustrator, like it wasn't a thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I just thought, I was like, and they told me about it. I thought, oh, that's really cool. I was like, I actually have some ideas for typefaces. I had at that point, started to create custom fonts for particular projects in school right just to set myself apart from whatever else was kind of going on at the time and it wasn't stock it was like so i was messing with just like hand done stuff and cut and paste and uh, uh and I was, physically oh, cutting and pasting by the way physically cutting and pasting yes i was yeah. i was kind of <laughs> i was i was sort of trying so what, what had happened was i was trying to marry my analog design background with now with a a computer in my house i had gotten a, a new macintosh which was very exciting was learning how to use that learning how to use illustrator and photoshop and a scanner and all that stuff 
And as soon as I got that, I realized everything kind of fell kind of flat, even though I wasn't happy with where everything was going anyway. Once I got mm. on the computer, it really kind of made it weird. So I kind of was like, okay, how can I use this as a tool? You know, here I am with the new computer thinking, this is going to design everything for me. And it's going to make my life so much easier. Well, I ended up making my life way more difficult because I just got even more frustrated with how I was going about my process. So I had to kind of relearn a different process, but then marry my analog work in a digital realm. Right. Um, so as I did that, uh, I started to make fonts and I just would make just like an A through Z, zero through nine, and then just use them in my projects. And then it just so happened at this time that my friend Alan says, hey, my friends are starting a font business. I said, well, you know, I have some fonts. Can I show them to them? Yeah. And and he was like, sure. You know, like no one had actually really even knew about it at that point. And they, so I showed it to him. I showed him a couple fonts and they literally called me like a couple days later and just said, Hey, these are cool. Can we put them out? And I said, okay. And that was kind of, that was the extent of our contract still is to the extent of our contract today. Really? Is it, yeah. It's just like, Hey, we wanted to put these out. Uh, we'll pay you a, you know, X amount of percent royalty. Um, is that cool? I said, sure. And that's where we were. And that's where we kind of ended up, you know, I was 20 yeah. years old or whatever, and maybe 21. And I just sort of, I didn't know any different. And, you know, they could have easily just taken them and run with it and said, see you later. But to this day, they are still good friends. And they've always been very honest with me. And, you yeah. know, so there's never any reason to not trust them, which is, is rare to say with a lot, you know, with a lot of people these days. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, you've been the full 1099 life, you know, yeah, self-employed sure. for, for, couple for of years. ages. Well, for a couple of years now. I, you know, okay. spent so many, it's been a lot of years in a, you know, in a studio, in an office doing all that stuff and a mix of the 1099 stuff too yeah um but yeah so that was sort of my i just sort of fell into that world well yeah something i want to pull out from that is like mm -hmm. to make fonts and to, yes. to be you know coming from like the graphic design background and stuff like that fonts are are you know, I have a bunch of buddies who do that and they would never touch fonts. They know a lot about them and they would learn them and they appreciate them, but they never do them because they're so intimidating. And the fact that you kind of jump into like the highest art form and in all <laughs> honesty, like, and, and that's where you make your name is like being like, you know, it, that's, that's a very, uh, different well, uh, I call, so I never considered it. I never actually ever really even considered myself a type designer only because I, the way I approach things and the way I've gone about stuff is so very loose in hand only. Like I'm not, you know, drawing some, you know, beautiful curves and like doing my X heights. The and, kerning. Uh, oh God. The uh, kerning. I, well, yeah. Like I'm not. <laughs> Like I've done, I've done so now. I've 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 done the whole mechanical of the of the font and putting it into a font program and doing the kerning pairs, but yeah. I've never done like, you know, I'm not do I'm not drawing like you know like a beautiful Caslon, 
percent you know <laughs> like i'm not doing that like i'm like i'm fo i was photocopying stuff and just destroying things you but know you were still making it I it's was. interesting to say i mean that's I like was. someone saying well i didn't paint like da vinci but they still you know they were picasso i mean that's you're still making a high art it's just a different strategy uh, yeah I, my whole thing was just how how can i completely destroy this stuff as my that was the only thing that felt comfortable to me i really like i was trying to do all this stuff in school where i was like you know with a computer i'm going to do this really clean design it's going to be very swiss and i'm going to do and it just i, I just it, it doesn't a it doesn't really hold my interest and b uh, I know like everything I do, like I just have to kind of just kind of pound it, you know, just and like I just have to smash it and I jam things together. And that's what comes. There's no delicate hand. It's like jam it all together and then take some pieces away. And then, oh, that works, you know, where like there, I mean, because there are some some type designers out there and graphic designers and, and out there that, who are just like they're elegant and beautiful. And I am envious of that sort of finesse that they possess hmm. when i when i look at that work and i've always wanted to kind of play maybe a little bit in that world but i i, I just i i don't i can't i just that that is not where my skill set is my skill set is take it smash it break it into pieces take a look at it and then see how it all fits together. That's right. where I. That's where it sounds I, like I, you're I, describing I so. punk music, by the way. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it, that's yeah. It, how it, much it, of it, your whole style <laughs> came from the punk world? Because you everything. Yeah. <laughs> when did you mean? first get into punk, and what what were you? What were you doing? Um, I think so. I had a sort of an interest in it, I think probably like really early on, you know, I think it's that lineage of little, little kid, like late seventies seeing kiss on TV and going like, Fuck not yeah. even react, not even reacting to the music. Right. It was the, it was fire, blood, <laughs> incredible costume. Like, you know, I mean, set design, stage designs, just logo everything's just so well thought out and i had the kiss makeup set and the view masters and the color yes. forms and the that's puzzle. worth a lot of money now by the way yeah oh i know i, I had the view masters around somewhere right but one the one big thing i do have which i did acquire much later in life and is the pinball machine <gasps> which is yeah which is incredible that was you have a kiss pinball machine i do i do My, holy shit my my dad remembered how much I, he 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 knew how much how obsessed i was with kiss and i i begged and pleaded i think it was the dynasty tour in like 79 i really mm -hmm. i was i was uh seven begged and pleaded to go to that and he didn't take me because my, 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 <laughs> my parents God. were my parents no, i i would have <laughs> lost my mind i would have loved it um but he was somewhere i was probably in my earlier 20 like yeah, i was like 25. he was someplace at some like amusement place and just happened to see a kiss pinball machine and like full impulse buy bought it for me as a christmas present Holy and it was shit. a good like a good it was a good deal this is going back you know this is going back almost like you know 25 years probably um 
and it was a really good deal and and it was a surprise and it's inc- it's incredible and every time i see it i think of him which is really great and is he still around no he uh, my, he he died 5 years ago coming up on 6 yeah, and um thanks and so it's one of those things that like i look at and i go you son of a bitch like it's <laughs> like you know like you just like the like i still to this day kind of go god i cannot believe you did that you know because it was just one of those things where i was like oh my god that's um, incredible and i love it yeah i love i love it to death and um but yeah so i, I sort of i dig i digress no you're um, fine it was really like so that kiss thing right i didn't really you know and i, I was into like and then i was sort of into like you know rolling stones police like that kind of stuff and there was sort of that new wavy thing happening and like in like you know 83 the clash were on the radio and i was real i really really loved that and i remember going into record stores because i would just every time i go to the mall my parents mm-hmm. would like, go, i'm going to the record store I'm like you know I'm like 10 11 years old and I'm pulling out these records and I pull out like London calling and I want them to buy me London calling. And they're just, my dad's just like, Oh, like he kind of looked at it and was just like, I think that's like too advanced for a, an 11 year old, you know, yeah, it's like, can this guy handle strummer? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so like he wouldn't buy it for me, which was such a bummer. And then I think at some, at, at, at some point I kind of, figure things and th- this is only you know two years later it's like you know skateboarding ha- you know enters my life more you know in a i won't say serious way but in a way that's like that whole world is exploding right i'm buying mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i get it like a real skateboard finally from like my 13th birthday and i'm buying thrasher and I'm looking through it and I'm seeing like music reviews and I'm seeing pictures of bands and I'm going, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is the stuff that I was trying like two years ago was like trying to figure out like, cause even, even at that same, like, you know, at 11, I pulled out, I was at the record store and I would go through the records and I would pulling out, um, let the, the, the alternative tentacles comp, let them eat jelly beans. It has like Ronald Reagan on the front and American flag. And it's, like you know bad brains are on there and like dead kennedys are on there and a bunch of other mm. and like and i remember looking at it and i'm like reading all the back of the band names and i'm going this seems so cool and so scary like it was like like it was like <gasps> like scary, like frightening to me like oh my god like what is this you know <laughs> and i remember and, and it was just me and this the clerk in the store and i remember being like like, do you know what this sounds like? You know, I'm a little 11 year old, little nerdy kid, like socks pulled up to my knees and a little like Adidas shorts, you know, kind of guy, <laughs> like, just like, what does this sound like? And he's just like, who, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, who? Like, like it's, 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 you know, it's punk. Like what, how can I explain this to you? That's the one thing I feel like, like people totally miss out on now in the sense yeah. that there's so much music specifically punk too, that people got into because of that album covers and i don't think that's ever going to happen again in the sense that like no one's going to be like what is this holding up an album and they've never heard it now it's like can i hear the 10 second preview on spotify (laughs) yeah you you can go like if you can't find it on spotify you can find it on youtube you can listen to it on Bandcamp before you purchase it you can find it on a blog like what you know it's just like literally you know Yes, it was like you're flipping through and you're going, this looks cool. This looks cool. What is this? Like it was so all that stuff caught my eye visually from 
Clash Records to Kiss Records to just a, a random assortment of punk records just was visual. And then, so then when skateboarding enters the picture, that sort of, and I didn't realize it at the time, how kind of hand in hand it all kind of went. Mm-hmm. But once I started, you know, buying Thrasher magazines and stuff and I'm like flipping through it and I'm like seeing like the record reviews and I'm looking at the pictures and they cover music and they talk about bands and you look at the stickers on some of the pros boards and you realize like what's happening. And I kind of went like, oh, this is really interesting. So then it's like, now what do you do, right? You're a kid with limited funds. You're trying to figure out, I want to hear this stuff. And like, so then you start like kind of looking around school, like who is into what here? Like what's going on? And like, kid, then that's at that point too, like eighth grade when like people are starting to sort of morph into what, they might be a yeah. little later. They're like, I'm an adult now. I'm, you know, I'm 13. I'm 14. You're like, mm. exactly. <laughs> You're like, mm, yeah, right. Uh, it, and so like, you know, that was sort of that Genesis from like, I think the skateboarding is really what sort of solidified it and kind of gave me like this sort of, you know, a periodical to kind of mm. start pointing towards names. Right. And then, kids in school started to like bring in tapes. And so we're starting trading things. I'm, I'll give you a blank tape, make a, make a copy. So I start hearing all this stuff and I'm like, and like, I have a neighbor who was like a street over who was like two years older than me or so maybe three. And he's, and I hadn't seen him. He sort of disappeared into his house for like a couple of years. Like we were really good friends when we were little and he sort of reemerges with like a skateboard and like, like, there's like long bangs in front of his eyes and like, you know, like a suicidal tendencies t-shirt. I'm just like, oh, wait, what's happened? You know, you, you're, are, are you like, what's going on? So like go over to his house. I'm like, he's like playing things for me. I'm trying to like put all the pieces together, making, making tapes for me. My, my next door neighbor and, and I are kind of getting into it all at the same time. Cause we're, you know, we're skating, we're going to these, we're going to record stores. We're just going like trying to, you know, it, like literally like eyes closed, like feel around kind of style. Like, right. Who is this band? What does this sound like? And then, and then from there you kind of go like, Oh, this is, this is the, this is like, here's the, here's the piece of the puzzle that I've been, you know, looking for from kiss days and wanting to fill that piece in with other things that like I could. So now, you know, my, at that point, like, it's not like, dad, can you buy me this record? It's like, no, 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 I'm going to take my lawn mowing money and I'm going to go buy the, when I go to the mall next time with mom, I'm going to buy the bad brains tape. You know what I mean? And then like, and then like, that was like one of those, like, like one of those moments. It was like, actually that was like the first, I think that was like the, one of the first cassettes I bought was like, bad brains rock for light and i put it on and i went like lost and just like lost my mind that is earth shattering oh (laughs) it was beyond an earth shattering moment you know i I literally remember like putting in a little boom box put in there had my headphones on and was just like trying to sit down and like try to do my homework because i would listen to music as i would do my homework because the only thing that kept me constant you know focused and i remember putting it on and just sort of just sort of putting the pencil down and just being like like mouth open just listening and being, and just trying to figure out that 
frenetic energy that was happening in this thing. Like it was just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was, it was, it was, yeah. Kind of a monumental thing. But And then, you know, and then I have like this little group and they're all kind of into it together. And we're, and we're buying, you know, everybody's buying records and recording those records and we're building this sort of art. Like, I got to hear this. I got to hear this. I got to hear this. And just whatever looks cool. Right. You go in and you're like, I heard about this record. It heard it's really good. I'm going to buy it. You don't buy that record. Somebody else get this other record, pool our resources. Right. There you go. And so like we can all record and, 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 and and have like all sit down and make sure that we all get everything that everybody else bought. So yeah, I may have purchased two LPs and a single, but with our little record shopping group, you know, I'm going to get six LPs and five singles, depending on what everybody's, you know, how, how much money anybody has to, you know, actually buy some records. I feel like that that's like probably the best explanation of punk and punk culture in the sense that it's a shared effort and a shared yes. victory at oh, all times. Because so, you know, I think initially, at least my parents and other people's parents, like punk meant rebellion and, you know, basically like my kids are going to start smoking cigarettes and piss on the side of my yeah. house. And it's like, while that may or may not have happened. Um, the point of all that too was, was just the, the, the shared victory throughout all of it. And, and also like the learning experience, I feel like it's the most like nostalgic, like, you know, and if you look at this, I feel like that understanding the art and all the things that you've created is just that perfect amalgamation of the entire like punk lifestyle right there. And what, you know, what so much of the stuff that you make shows. It taught me. A, to just sort of like do like actually it, it made me want to research stuff right dig mm. figure things out put the lineage together of a band or other members and what they went on to do later or were, what were they were doing currently even though i thought this other band was current but oh no they had broken up two years prior they're doing these other things now all of that kind of combination of stuff as well is a big it was a huge part of how i kind of approach design i mean i still reference so much of that stuff just generally when i'm no matter what i'm doing i'll remember like oh there was this font on the back of this one record like i love the way that looked with a combination of this other typeface on the same record like that kind of stuff too like it right that was my between like skate magazines and skateboard decks and t-shirts and all that stuff being a part of that education. The other one was just really like examining record covers and be and, and sort of figuring all that whole world out. It mm. was this, I just realized I had to apply once I got to art school, I really had to apply that same kind of interest and digging into the, design world as well right because i figured if i looked at i actually and at that point too i kind of went like oh who was the guy who did all the stuff for this band oh it was you know neville brody it was you know barney bubbles it was 
you know, Peter Seville, like you look, you know, you, you eventually then you start to look at like, oh, who was actually executing all this stuff that I mm. actually, to, I, that I love. So then once yeah. you do that, you kind of go into this whole other rabbit hole of, of influence. Um, right. Which, which was, I, you know, very, like really a better education than my actual education, I have to say. Interesting. So, so you, you spend time kind of like doing stuff off and on with house. Yeah. And when, when did like the concept of, and you making merch start to come in? Uh, so I had always been, so while I was in school, I was really interested in that sort of when that, that sort of early streetwear world. Right. So while I was in, cause I don't, so from the, from the sort of the skate world, there was, there was an always like an apparel component to right. it. Um, whether it was like the surf wear world or where I, what I thought was really genius was the Stussy angle, which was merging many things of like, there was a little bit of reggae world. There was a little bit of hip hop. There was punk. There was surf sprinkled in on top. It was all that kind of stuff. And I loved that kind of, amalgamation if you will mm -hmm. um so once i got into like once that sort of early 90s thing happened and i was really paying attention to all those streetwear brands like um like fresh jive and gypsies and gypsies and thieves and soul and clobber and all these other brands at the time yeah i was like well i want to do my own thing right and i had no idea what i was doing no clue but I was just like, I'm just going to, you know, save some money. I'm going to print up some shirts. I'm going to figure this out. And I did that and I gave them to my friends and I, I still, and I still have a box of them in my, the attic at my mom's house. <laughs> nice. <laughs> because I sold them at one little store, which was actually really nice of the guy that actually ran the store to take some and he said, and they sold and then, but I just didn't have the time to like follow up. And yeah. then like, but then the, the, it was like the slow thing where I was like, I always wanted to, like, I don't know why the t-shirt thing was always just like, I want to do t-shirts. I want to do t-shirts. But then I didn't for a really long time. I, you know, when I worked at house in, when, when I started working at house industries, we would do just for fun. We were doing t-shirt designs just as a goof. And, and it was always like, too, like we design a new font set and the thing to go with it was a t-shirt. So you bought, you sure. paid money, you paid money for the font set. You got a, a t-shirt to go with it. And it was just like, that was such a fun, you know, you, you pay 200 bucks for something and, and you, you know, you get a disc in the mail. It's like, <laughs> uh, man. Right. But you pay 200 bucks and you get a t-shirt, right? And a disc. Get, now we're disc, talking. T-shirt, disc, maybe like. Yeah, like a sticker, you know, like it's yeah. it, 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 those, those. Give me the swag. <laughs> those things, though, that those things make people excited, though. They're like, look what I got. This is great. Yeah. You know, like people just get so excited for this, you know, $20 t-shirt. They just spent 200 bucks on a box set. <laughs> Sounds like fashion. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it does, doesn't it? Yeah. But like, so, you know, at that point, um, so I was always like, oh, there's this power, there's a power to this, just a simple printed graphic on a piece of cotton, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then I, and at that point too, like I'd always wanted to, 
I'd always wanted to do just band merch, but I didn't know anybody in bands at that time. Like, mm. I, I, and I didn't ever, like, I don't, maybe I wasn't, I didn't, like, like, I went to a lot of shows. I saw a lot of bands play. I was going all the time, but I just, just at that point, like, or even at, I at one, uh, when we were in high school, there was like my friend's band. I did some shirts. They never even sold shirts. We just goofed around. I, you know, with silkscreen in my basement. But other than that, I never knew anybody in any other bands. And it wasn't until I did a font set based on like old flyer typography and like all that kind of stuff, which was like one of the last things I did for while I was working at House Industries. I met the guys that ran uh, Jade Tree. And we had sort of run in the same circles, J-Tree being the record label um, and run by uh, Darren Walters and another guy named Tim Owen. Yeah. They were in De- they were in Delaware too. I asked them for help because I wanted to kind of contact bands and I didn't really know how to go about licensing or talking to anybody. So they helped me get in touch with people, which was really nice of them. They didn't have to do that. But because of that, I started talking to them and I said, listen, I really want to do record covers. Like, I'll do it for free. Like, what do you got? And they were kind of like, looked at me like, really like oh yeah okay here do this and like and which was great like they put a lot of trust in me initially and i i didn't know what the hell i was doing what album covers were you doing were you doing like denali or whatever no i did um so i think like i did a i think they tested me they were repressing they were repressing this split which was like this band damnation ad and this other band universal order of armageddon and there was a split seven inch and they wanted to redesign the cover and they were repressing it because they first pressing it sold out so i did Mm -hmm. that first and they were like oh cool like we like this so i did that and then that and that was and i other than other than the seven inch cover that i did for my friend's band and you know whenever it was 1989 or 1990 i'd never done another record cover but I knew that that's what I wanted to do more than actually the t-shirt angle, which is really funny because then now I definitely like the t-shirt thing more. Um, and then there was a new band that was starting at that time called kid dynamite. So it was, you know, mm-hmm. they were like, Oh, they were brand new. They hadn't even found their singer yet, but like Jason, and so, but they introduced me to, to Dan Eamon and Dave Wagon Shoots. And they said, you know, basically, here's your guy to, because we know we're going to do an album cover. We know we're going to do merch. You know, you're going to do whatever. Great. And then they had already kind of done some stuff in that right, right around the time they found their singer. And they did like one t-shirt using my fonts, oddly enough, which was very funny. Um, but then I, I showed them all like my portfolio of just a bunch of random stuff and they were like thumbs up let's go and so i kind of went head first into starting to design their first record merch everything for them every and i did and i did with the exception of maybe like one or two t-shirts i literally for the life of the band i did just every release every piece of merch for them and then mm. as, as I started to do that, then they started, the J tree guys were introducing me to, to more bands and more people. So it was like doing merch for jets to Brazil, which I was really excited about because it was like, yeah, jets to Brazil. Was, yeah. Shit. I was just like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, you know, I'm a huge jawbreaker fan. I'm a big fan of, um, you know, I was a big fan of Texas is the reason I was like all that kind of stuff. And so, so I was doing like, a lot of merch for, I did merch for like Promise Ring, 
Jets to Brazil, Joan of Arc, which then kind of, you know, turned. And then I was doing like, I met like Tim was just like, he wasn't very, which was great. Tim and Darren were both not very, not ultimately very protective of me. So they would mm-hmm. be like, so they, you know, and they knew everybody. So they were just like, we'd go to a show and they'd be like, oh, you need to meet the Saves the Day guys because they need new t-shirts. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I talked to the Saves the Day guys and they're like, yeah, we need shirts. I go, great. Well, let's design some shirts. And I, you know, did a bunch of stuff for them. And then I didn't know you did Saves the Day. mm -hmm, I did um, a bunch of stuff for them. Like right after. For Through Being Cool or Stay What You Are? Yeah, it was like, it was at post. It was right when like Through Being Cool came out. So like right around that time, I did a bunch of tours. on Victory, I guess. Uh, I guess or I don't equal vision. Pre- was it? Oh, it equal, equal vision. No, you're right. Yeah. And then vision. they went to vagrant. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like in between fucking saves a day lineage down. Damn it. <laughs> I don't even remember this stuff. I have no idea how I remember. Um, so, so there was that kind of intermediate, like, so like, and then from there it was like, Chris Caraba called me and was like, you know, wanted me to do dashboard stuff. So I did a couple things for dashboard confessional, which was cool. And like, but then like, and then I had met, somebody at vagrant this guy kevin and so like i did did like a saves the day rocket from the crib crib split like so these things were it was nice it was like this little snowball of like you know once you do stuff for one band and they go who did that and then they say oh this guy did it and that you know and it was and and the great thing about tim and darren were it was like they weren't like no 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 he's our he's our guy and he's only working for us they were like oh you like what that is like everybody was really open to like yeah, that's a rare thing as I've, I mean, I won't throw in, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus or anything at all, but like <laughs> friends of mine at labels and sure. labels that I worked at, like you had like a great example. And this is, you know, Marco, Mark O, O-H-E, uh, made so much of like the Matador Records identity in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, pavement and Interpol stuff and all like all that, like that yeah. was Marco. And he... And a lot of times, like, labels will just bring a person in-house, and that's, like, your guy, you know? Yeah. And th- there's a lot of protection around that. I mean, Sub Pop had the same thing. Oh, yeah. And so it, that, that was a... Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that was that's a pretty like, big deal thing for them to just kind of let you go off and do your thing. Well, I mean, it, it, they knew, like, they knew I just wanted to do, as like, at that point, like, I w- didn't have kids yet. I, you know, I, I was just, like all I wanted to do was just do more stuff yeah. as much as I possibly could just, and I, I was just like, I, you know, when you get on a roll, I was just like cranking out stuff like crazy and it was fun. And I was inspired and it was, I was inspired. It was inspiring. Uh, the music was inspiring. I was really, you know, I felt like I kind of had taken a little bit of a break, not from music per se, but like a quote unquote scene like being involved mm. it while I was in college. Like I kind of was just like, okay, I'm going to really concentrate on school here and I'm going to really concentrate on this stuff. And I was still going to see shows and stuff. I was still going to see a lot of bands because I can't, couldn't not just, you know, I was buying records and I was consuming music and, 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 and seeing bands, but I wasn't, didn't really feel like I was really part of anything after I'd kind of sort of tapered out of the hardcore scene or even a little bit of post hardcore scene and, and and so, you know, the grunge, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, thing was a little bit bigger. The indie rock world was a little bit bigger and it wasn't quite as 
even though it was small, it felt big. And I didn't really have that same kind of connection. Once I kind of was talking to the J, J tree guys, I felt immediately home at home in that scene because it was all a bunch of people who had been into the hardcore scene in the late eighties, but then had kind of evolved into this other thing that was, you know, a, yeah. diff, whole, a different world, but with the similar values set of values. Right. Um, so it felt really comfortable to kind of be there because we had all the same reference points uh, for bands and, right. and, but it was like, you know, a certain aesthetic that was building. It wasn't any one thing, you know, it wasn't like, where it was like hardcore, it was like, well, you know, gotta let everybody know we're straight edge band, so you're gonna need an athletic font, and they're gonna need that. You know what I mean? Like it's like that kind of, <laughs> and then which which then evolved into it was so it was like you know that was like eight like later eighties, and then it was like early nineties. It was like, well, we're now we're you know we don't want to do the athletic font anything anymore because that's cliche. So let's pick the weirdest typeface we can possibly find with like yeah. that's sort of almost like it was you know from some like you know, uh, uh, calligraphy kind of scroll, but wacky, you know, that was, and then it was like, Oh, well that's now that's the new night, early nineties, uh, you know, uh, hardcore, uh, typeface. Right. So, so, you know, there were, so there was, you know, there was, so there was, there was a lot of commonality there, uh, in that, in that sort of, in that scene in the later nineties and the very early two thousands, which was, um, very comfortable for me. So it was, it was nice that like, I, so I, you know, it was really, I was going to, tons of shows and meeting all these guys in bands and doing all this work that really kind of like let me they let me have a lot of freedom mm. that's all I, that's all i ever really wanted was just to be able to kind of just do my thing and then most people look at it and go like all right cool like this is yeah this works yeah you know what does this new work from home wardrobe look like some of us are going back into offices, and some of us are staying put, but all of us, including yours truly, are looking for something better for our wardrobes. Well, P. Johnson is a custom men's clothier with a focus on soft tailoring, comfort, and a natural laid-back elegance. With their own private factory in Italy and lush showroom in New York, Sydney, Melbourne, or London, you can easily stop in and see for yourself, or check out one of their trunk shows. And by the way, they even do virtual appointments now. Patrick and the crew just released their new winter ready-to-wear collection, and it's fantastic. My personal favorite is the technical field jacket or the vegan suede overshirt. It's a put-together look but not contrived. Simple, elegant, and flattering. And if you want something special, you can even have Patrick Johnson and the team make something new for you, and it's not going to take nine months. We're only talking a few weeks here. So visit pjt.com to view it and learn more. P. Johnson builds individually crafted top to bottom wardrobes for men and women, so you can even nab some stuff for him or her. Look, I bought tons of made to measure and made to order tailoring, but P. Johnson ticks almost every box for me. In fact, no, look, they tick it all. They're the best. From the price, the style, and the fit, everything they ever make is an extension from the last. So you don't really need to worry about what season it is. P. Johnson's always about improving your wardrobe with their quality pieces. So visit pjt.com to learn more or just go to their Instagram. You'll see their new eyewear, the overshirts, and some of the best styling you'll see on any runway or catwalk. It's a vibe. It's P. Johnson. And then what you eventually kind of, you know, I don't know. We can talk or skip the Urban Outfitter stuff if you want. Oh, um, no. It's the 15-plus year part of my world, you know? Yeah, okay. Well, because I was... 
I was going to say, how how did that happen? Because I think you were you were at Urban for <laughs> the like the good time, the real good time before yeah. it became just like crazy. It was, <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Um, it, when I was at I was you know worked for House Industries for a couple of years. Uh, got in touch with um, an old classmate who was actually working there. This guy Lance. And he said, hey, do you know anybody, like, you know, any designers that would be interested in working here? We're like, you know, we had a couple people leave. We're looking. And I said, I said, actually, I said, I might be interested there. He was just like, what do you mean? Like, you're there. I said, I, I love it here. And I love these guys. But I just so desperately wanted to do just different stuff. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, so I, I went in, I interviewed, uh, you know, I got the job and i just said well why, why not you know like let's figure this out and, and what was your your primary role there uh at urban yeah uh first it was just a graphic designer there were four of us mm-hmm. uh they didn't have an art director at the time the art director had left the assistant art director had left it was there were just four of us like just kind of banging stuff out you know and i you know it was a whole different world working in-house retail Right, uh, and which is funny because then I ended up basically staying in house retail for you know until 2017, <laughs> you know, right. doing a bunch of different things. Um, but yeah, it was it was cool, and then like it, they were very open. It was there weren't many stores then at that point. I think when I started, it was 30 stores. Um, it was very free. We read, you know, every season we basically redid the logo to go on the windows, to go in the bags, to go in boxes. Like it just was very fluid. And I loved that. I love that there were no hard and fast rules. I love that there was no logo. I loved that, that no, we need to stick to this aesthetic constantly. Um, mm-hmm. It went with my ADHD perfectly, you know? <laughs> Like constantly it, it, changing, yeah. Like, blow it up, start it over, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never, never got bored. I mean, it was the same projects a lot of the time, but I never got, you never got bored, right? It was never like, oh, I'm super bored of this, and, um, and oh yeah, well here we are doing the same thing over and you know, new, you know, new same year, same thing. Like every time it was different because it was because it was reacting to, it was. For lack, you know, before they were really using the term fast fashion, and it really wasn't even wasn't even totally fast fashion because that fashion cycle was a whole different world at right, that point, right. right? It was like truly seasonal, truly working in a way that was like you know, uh, you know, back to you know, you were ta- talking, te- you were concentrating on back to school, you're concentrating on holiday, and then you were concentrating on like spring summer. Um, so. to me, it was really exciting. I love that world. I loved, and I, and I, you know, I'd I'd always been sort of like into shopping and buying clothes and sneakers and all that stuff. So for me, that was like, Oh wait, I get a discount. (laughs) Like, great. You know, like, this is so cool. Like I get, and I, I, I had grown up shopping in urban too. Like as a kid, you know, one of the, the first, the first store was in Philadelphia. I used to go to that store one all the time in West Philadelphia. And that's where I would do my back to school shopping. So for me, it was like this weird natural progression of like, oh, I'm very familiar with this whole world, aesthetic, everything, you know, 
plot me in and kind of let's go. Right. Um, and I, and I did a couple, you know, a couple stints there, kept going back. They couldn't keep me away. Well, I mean, I think it's interesting because you, you definitely have a, um, a distinct like vibe for a lot of your stuff. However, you, you know, as, um, I, I think one of the things that's great is like, but you're also able to go and, and make whatever you're doing better in terms of, of, because I'll just take this and set it aside for a second that like a lot of designers, you'll be like, oh, that's this, that's this designer. And it, it doesn't reflect who the artist is. So it's like, you see your stuff that you do for John Mayer, you see the stuff that you do for Rolling Stones. I, you know, if you put them together, you're like, that is so Jeremy Dean. But if they're on its own, you, it definitely is, is uplifting and showing the artist versus an artist impression of it do you know what i mean like uh, yeah that, that yeah. happens a lot especially with like you know shepherd fairy for example right like shepherd fairy is awesome but like you're like that's shepherd fairy that's shepherd fairy, you know and then sometimes it doesn't even enhance the music or, or help the the artist that it's supposed to com- communicate for and i think that's something that you do really well i mean especially with that rolling stone stuff that you did which is like oh, fucking thank crazy thank you that was a lot of, that was a lot of fun actually and they, it was nice that they kind of went like yeah sort of go crazy you know um yeah um well so i mean i gotta ask because people are gonna kick me otherwise like how did the mayor sure. stuff happen um so that happened because i was making bootleg grateful dead t-shirts that was because i was okay so you know well let's jump that, to that when, when yeah. did bootleg grateful dead happen because i well so many people you know, I know people that were into Wonders of Black Flag and didn't realize that it was a steal your face. Like, ah, there you go. So, all right, I'll, I'll yeah, I can, exp- I can sort of, sort of do the condensed version, hopefully. Um, all right, so you've got, this was, I, you know, in the middle, before all this, I'd done, you know, I'd done a ton of band stuff. It was a lot of fun. I had kids. I had to slow down a little bit on that, you know, stuff because that happened all when I got home from work and I couldn't really juggle that with a baby and then another baby, right? right. And it was a lot of it was a lot of it was a lot of, like a lot of time. So I had to kind of like chill out on that a little bit. In the meantime, all that stuff I had started a small clothing thing with my with the House Industries guys called House Thirty Three. That kind of did its thing. We had a store in London for a little bit. It was a, yeah, it was like a whirlwind kind of thing. And then, you know, everything kind of, a lot of small brands, I think, you know, 2000 and, I guess it was 2000, end of 2008 when everything just sort of went in the shitter, right? Like, yeah. The stock, financial yeah, like, crisis, yeah, the financial whole crisis yeah. the, whole, that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So like, and then that was kind of like, and it that was it. And I, and I, and I was kind of like, I, I took it like, not personally, but it hurt. I put, I had poured so much of myself into it. Literally every, like no other freelance work, just me every night, just sort of pounding away at trying to like, you know, designing graphics and label packages and doing all this other stuff for this house story three thing. So that kind of goes away for a little while. It goes on pause because of this whole financial crisis. So I just thought, I'm going to just do something 
fun for myself, not even thinking that it was going to be anything other than I initially was just going to make like a sticker or something like that, just as a goofy thing. Mm -hmm. And I, and I had been a sort of going back into old catalogs of music and just being like, I'm going to listen to all the stuff that I either poo pooed at one point or just really never gave its due or whatever it was, or never really did like deeper dives into, which was not, not at the time. No, but it was like, I listened to like a ton of dead, a ton of Dylan, a ton of, everything from even like when I had sort of, I had sort of skimmed like surface level, like dub reggae, like, you know, a lot of just even just surface level classic rock stuff. Like I went from sort of being like into kiss into sort of more of a new wave world, uh, then going straight into like hardcore and like, Mm. and, and really the only other stuff that kind of entered my world at that time was more in the, the, like the English band sense of like cure sisters of mercy um, Bauhaus, Smiths, oh, yeah. that kind of stuff, which I just loved. But that's where my my blinders were on. It was like I was listening to like straight edge hardcore, a little bit of weird like industrial stuff, like you know Throbbing Gristle and Psychic TV. Oh, and, and then R.I.P. Yes, exactly. And then like all of this, you know, sort of you know, for lack of a better term, you know, we called them we called them. Uh, kids that dressed like that uh, gloom and doomers yeah uh, and you know <laughs> that's about right which that's, which i kind of still that's still a thing <laughs> which which that was sort of like my a uh, little bit of my high school uniform i didn't look as much like a hardcore kid as i looked like this sort of like a little bit more like you know the little um the mock turtleneck and the black uh little uh kung fu kung fu slippers you know the ones that you oh, buy yeah. at the at the uh you know the place that sold like throwing stars and stuff like that they're like little five dollar little slip on guys yeah um that was like part of the uniform it was like you know black levi's black turtleneck and then the little slippers um so i was going back in and i was just like i was basically raiding my friends in the in the in the art department actually at urban outfitters like you know uh we had a, a server with just like the most insane amount of music on it because we were all just sharing and swapping because everybody, all the designers there, everybody's there, music obsessed, you know, yeah. of all these different genres. So I'm just like being like, okay, I'm going to listen to like all this early dead stuff because I had heard it all so many times before because so many of my friends were into it. So many of my friends' parents were into it, but it was just like background noise to me. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to like concentrate on this stuff now. But I also kind of, at some point, made the correlation that like Black Flag, at one, at at, at you know Greg Ginn had, had just been a massive Dead fan, and this to me, once I sort of really kind of figured this out, it was like fascinating because I remember seeing this old this photo they were playing at this um, some outside venue in California. It was like a smoke in or something like that, and Greg's wearing a Dead shirt, and so like. I see this picture of these of their road crew circa 85 they're all wearing dead t-shirts they're all like hair down to their shoulders they look like a you know they look like the dead tour road crew they don't do not look like the road crew of a punk band you know hardcore band. Mm-hmm. and so then i start like kind of really examining like wow wow you know they really start to get super jammy 84 85 especially 86 
and I'm looking at all this stuff. And then I see like this bootleg t-shirt as I'm like, you know, my crazy Tumblr scroll, you know, um, uh, you know Tumblr. I'm, I'm pulling, I'm pulling a, mm, <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I pull this image of like, there's a picture of a guy in the, you know, dead lot circa 80, whatever. And it has this image and says, we can discover the wonders of nature. And it was just so graphically, it was just so perfect. It was like, it was purple and it was green and it was like the steely with the steely another steely inside of it and perfect and a little pot leaf and it was just like i'm just like you know this is like just everything about this is fantastic so i kind of create but i was and at the time i was like you know looking and going like all right sort of making these punk to dead correlations now i need to point out too that a friend of mine that i was working with at the time his name's ed lorem Ed had been the guy, like maybe like he's like two years, three years older than me, but we had really kind of connected while working, even before working there, because like he grew up in North Jersey, he was going to CB's matinees in like from like you know 84, 85, 86. And at some point, his transition was like hardcore, then like dinosaur junior, and then like all of a sudden he was into the dead. And his whole crew. Mascus is a fan of the dead. I get it. Yeah. So like. Jay Mascus is the lead singer yeah. in the, and, and he is Dinosaur Jr. Basically. Yes, yeah. he is. Sorry. Just um, for. Yeah. No. For, you got you to you clarify. Because people will be like, well, this is shorthand. What? Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, so like. But I had always been fascinated because there were guys that I. That were a couple of years older than me that I remember seeing like probably 1990. Like they were like the most. You know, they were like full-on into the hardcore scene at the time but then i didn't see them for like a year or two and then all of a sudden i'm like they were in college and they were driving a vw bus and had a huge beard and wearing tie-dye and i'm like what (laughs) What happened yeah like they all and so there was a, a massive contingent of this other generation of hardcore punk guy who then became went full on you know dead fan like mm. dropped out went on tour and i kept seeing this this was like a reoccurring theme for me like having these conversations my friend ed the the guy that i mentioned early on that i did that was a really good friend of mine when i was really young this guy's name's matt he went in that route a whole bunch of other people all just kind of went in the, and it was always fascinating to me like wonder like where was that transition and like why and as i started putting it together with the black flag thing i saw that we can discover the wonders of nature graphic. I make this little thing and I just look at it and I go, Oh, that's really fun. Like, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll, and this was like 2009 and I'm, and I don't know what to do with it. And at the time I'm working in urban and I snuck it into, I kept sneaking it into graphic packets and things. Um, when I was working with the men's team on trend books, I kept like throwing it in anytime there was like a, almost more like this, like camping, hiking, kind of you know thing with like this tumblr image dump of all this cool stuff i was just like sneaking it in there these some of these books and then at one point like i showed a friend of mine and he was just like oh man you should like do something with that and i said oh what am i gonna you know what he's like i just put on a t-shirt because i wanted on a t-shirt okay and he owed me he ended up owing me a favor so i printed up a couple t-shirts and then like it was like early days of instagram and i got him printed all up for free because he owed me money basically in some <laughs> form 
And I ended up giving a bunch of them away. And then other people saw them and were like, dude, can I buy one of those? I was like, oh, crap. Um, yeah, let me figure out how to do that. You know, so I just like set up a big cartel and like sold off the rest of them. But that gave me enough money to go, oh, hey, you know, the shirts you printed, can you do another run? Just let's make them a different color. And that just sort of started from there. And at the time, there really wasn't, you know, Instagram at that time, there wasn't really, people weren't really weren't selling things on there or using it yeah, as that kind of platform. It's not the hellhole of someone selling you all birds. Yeah, exactly. No advertising, <laughs> right? It, and it wasn't even just like, I, I don't think anybody even thought of it as could be a commerce platform no. at no. that point. Um, but I just thought, and I didn't really, I hadn't really had any social media previously. I think I had a MySpace page for like a second, mm. you know? But like, so it was like, oh, wow, this is cool. And like, and I was like, oh, and it, so it sort of was this thing where I was like, every time I tried to start a t-shirt line, I got bored. Every time I tried to do whatever, I got bored or I got distracted or whatever. This was just like, this is so goofy. I don't have to think about it too much. As long as there's a demand for it, I'm just going to continue to make them and just do them in versions. Which then, you know, all of a sudden, then I start seeing like other, these other dead, weird dead bootleg thing pop up. And I was like, oh, that's kind of wild. Like, okay, cool. Like, there's, and then, did like, you boom. know that that was a massive scene in terms of like, bootleg yeah i knew for bands I, and all that I, okay i knew it was but it at that time because you know the band hadn't been functioning since 95 right yeah, it had, there, true. there had yeah so there there had been other you know there's there were other there were we bob weir tours and there was rat dog and there was this that and the other thing but like it it, it wasn't like a it wasn't a thing People mm. could really could kind of give a shit about at that point about the Grateful Dead. Like it wasn't like a like it wasn't like a you know quote unquote a trend in any capacity you know in any in any stretch of the imagination at all. Like it wasn't one of those things. Like it wasn't showing up. I mean, there were certain people who were referencing it at times mm-hmm. here and there. Like especially like little brands from like San Francisco. I'd be like, oh, like you'd see it referenced, but it was such an it had been a big, you know, the, that bootleg scene was, was massive, right? Like massive, right. but it that it hadn't really carried over at that point. It wasn't there. So, you know, I started doing that. And then all of a sudden I started seeing like these other things pop. I was like, this is kind of interesting that this is actually like starting to bubble up, you know, in this weird. Sure. Yeah, it was just a weird, it was just a, it was a weird thing. I just, and then, you know, a couple of years later, some mason my friend mason who i do my play dead uh thing with which is our dead licensing business who runs a instagram called from the law he like reposted like my sticker or something like that and then i guess john saw it and was like hey like how do i get one of these and i kind of went like what do you mean how do you get one of these like you're gonna am i gonna get you know am i gonna get busted Am I gonna get yeah. like, like give give up my location? You know, there's like a a, a, t, a, a, a a like a SWAT team's gonna drop from the ceiling, and I'm gonna get like taken away in a van. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like no. But um, he was very nice, and he was just like, I really want to get you know, want to um get a hold of one of these shirts, and I never seemed to can't. I never you know I never can. And I said, well, we were planning on coming and you know going to a dead company show, and he's like, well, how about like you you know I'll trade you tickets for some shirts and i was like that sounds like a fair deal to me <laughs> um 
and clearly I got the better end of the deal. Um, so I brought him a bunch of stuff and, uh, you know, and, and hung out a little bit and got to see the show. And then we just sort of like had kind of, you know, kept in, kept, had kept in, started to keep in touch. Um, and then that led to like me working with him directly on some solo stuff. And then also then me working with the, with dead and company and doing a lot of tour merch and ad mats and all that kind of stuff, which has been, um, fantastic and like a little odd like i just never would have thought that would have led me like just me goof like goofing around would have ever led me there because i've tried so hard with so many other things and really like planned it out and thought about it but this was just so spontaneous like all started very spontaneously no plan no idea really even what i was doing which is kind of funny Right. It's sort of the thing that really kind of gave me a little life there, you know? Well, because your your shirts still to this day are knocked off. You can buy great copies of them on eBay, which I know you yeah. have a habit of doing. I do. I like to I like to get them. It's really fun. <laughs> I, I just wish they were better quality. They're just horrible. And so I, I implore <laughs> anyone that might be listening to this to know that they are not... Um, if you can see them and if you can purchase them in multiple sizes, they're going to be the worst shirt you've ever bought in your life. Like <laughs> they're just, they're like almost like a weird, like silky nylon and it's like a digital print and it's Oof. so, it, and it's just super blurry. There was one that was done last year that I purchased and it was incredible because they like reset the type and change some of the words in the oh, little small this because oh. you'd always put these people on blast on your instagram yeah, yeah but like not in a bit ba- not in a blast in a, like on a bad way you know like a, oh my gosh this is incredible oh. like the fact oh i loved i mean just i loved it because it was just somebody like it was somebody somewhere in the world making these shirts and i just it i mean the fact that anybody gives a shit is incredible to me that's one but somebody like went back in and like redrew parts of it and changed the type because i guess they couldn't read it because it was they were because they were essentially taking it from instagram yeah and trying to read shots and trying yeah yeah and they're trying to like rework this stuff it's so good i was like i was blown i mean i was i almost peed my pants when i got the thing in the mail and i opened it up and i'm looking at it going like oh my god like it i forget i actually just saw it the other day and it's packed away and i wish i knew where it was but it said like it was really funny it had yeah. said like different things in certain spots, like, but it was, and it was so close, but yet so completely right. Oh, it was, I love it so much. Like I want to do, I'll probably, I, I might have to find that shirt and just make that shirt, <laughs> make that version, you yeah. know, scan it, put it together, just make the boot yeah the bootleg of the bootleg of the boot like the you know f- the fourth the, the fourth <laughs> photocopy yeah <laughs> that's that's funny actually one of the like things that i think is really interesting from i didn't put this together until we were talking is like you were making basically bootleg unlicensed stuff and it is so good that now you make the licensed stuff yeah i mean that's <laughs> i mean that's what happened 
like so do you ever think that would happen i mean because that's fucking crazy man i never thought it would happen and i it's interesting but it kind of proved something to me and it goes and i it's like you know people say this like oh it's better to ask ask for forgiveness than permission kind of deal you know what i mean so like i would look at stuff and be like oh man i think i could take a crack at that and maybe do a you know my own spin on it so that is was essentially what i was doing um and it kind of worked you know but i didn't even but i didn't even think about i but i didn't think about it in that way right like i didn't even think about oh someday i'm actually going to work do work for the band and have a relationship with the band and you know bob weir is going to request uh, a set of whatever shirt I'm doing for his whole family, which happened. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, like last. Yeah, last Did year. You talk like to he's, him? Uh, I didn't talk. To, I didn't talk to Bob. I talked to like one of his assistants. Uh, you know, <laughs> but but like, literally got an email like from another from somebody else that just said, "Hey, the Weir family really wants to, you know, would love to get a hold of the." I go, I go well, how many do they need? Like, what do they need? Like, absolutely. But it was just really cool that like he he per- was like he saw the shirt i guess john had it and he was just like what is that that's super cool i want one and i want like everybody in my family to have one too yeah <laughs> which was great so that was really um that was like kind of valid like it, it, as if certain other things hadn't already been a validation like that was a, also a great little validation of just something you know fun off the top of your head, if you yeah. had to assign a number, how many of those shirts do you think you've sold? Just in terms of like the the one is a black flag. Style. You know, it's funny. I don't know because I would do them in really small runs. You know, those wonders of black flag shirts in general, unless I did like a pre-order. And even then I would cut it off because my printer could only handle up to like 300 or something like that because it was a small printer. Yeah. I would only do 100 like runs of 100 shirts at a time. So, you know, I wasn't doing like, cause so, so like with every design, there's no more than really than a hundred out there. And I'll be really honest. I gave away a, a nice chunk of those shirts every, like if people ask me, I'd be like, Hey, here you go. You know, like what size, you know? Cause that was the fun part. That has always been the fun part too. It's like, if people are actually interested in this, my God. Yeah. But me? you know like, what else is interesting? Hmm. making dope shit in your house with all the fat stack you got from selling your shirts. So I'll say you know, it. You know, I went like, that's the thing. It, 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 it was never about that. And it's actually, it still isn't about that. It's really more what that stuff is, is the stuff that leads to the Rolling Stones t-shirts or, you know, doing stuff for with John or doing stuff for dead and company or having this uh, grateful dead licensing agreement or, and, and hopefully I want to do more bands. Like that yeah. was, that's the, like, it, you know, I, it, I still look at the, at the other little weird t-shirt thing as like, it's my way of working out other things that will hopefully somebody else will see and go, I want that for me. But the other version, if that makes sense, like yeah. that's that's my it's my it's my port you know it's my it's my promotional item essentially it's like my calling card to for for people to be like oh you know what our band's going on tour and I want this 
I want you I to want do a JD this for shirt. us. Yeah, like I want you to do this for us. So that's I had really people buy the shirt because you did the the Buemo shirts, and I had yeah. people buy them that didn't listen to the podcast, but just <laughs> wanted to get one of your shirts, which I was like, that's, wow, okay, geez. I mean, sure, thanks, man. You know, but, that's um, that's kind of cool and weird. It's and cool and weird. Fla- it's flattering. It's very. Fl- it's flattering. I mean, I can't. I could be nothing. Yeah. But, you know. One guy wrote like, "Don't know what your podcast is, but cool, but like like the shirts." And then oh, one geez. guy was like, "Oh, I like Pokemon, or I like this," and you know, and which is great, you know. But at the same time, I was like, "Well, wait, that's not how it works." But- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's fine, man. It's cool. I mean, hey, man, as long as you're selling some shirts, right? You yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. That's good. I, you know, I'll, you know, hey, man, I'll take, like, here's the thing. Like, the fact that anybody's interested is I'll take it any way I can get it, really. You know, like, how many people put stuff out there in the world and it just kind of like, it's silent, right? It's called the majority of of fashion. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah, especially, oh my gosh, especially nowadays. Jeez. It's like you put so much stuff out there into the world and it's just like, hello, can anybody hear me? Yeah. Can someone please buy my trousers? You know, like. (laughs) (laughs) The funny thing, like in the, the full, from a 30,000 foot view, you basically are the the new textbook for how to make a cool brand is, you know, have your own passion, do exactly what you want to do, only sell exactly what you can make and what you need to make and never sell more than that. So like not wasting any inventory and uh, like, and look at that. I mean, and you basically did all that. And the funny thing is like, all of this was, which is fine. It's just like, yeah, it was kind of on accident. It, well, you know, it was on accident because of trying so hard in so many other ways or thinking about it. Oh, like, I would think myself into a corner constantly, right? Like, I'd be like, I'd have a full, what you know, 10 t-shirts designed, ready to go. Like, I'm going to do this brand. And I'm going to do this thing. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it here. I'm going to try to sell it here. And I'm going to get it. Th-. And then I would just, I would, I would talk myself out of it. Because really? Why? I did because I didn't know. I did it so many times where I would be like, "Okay, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then I'm gonna, you know, and then I'm going to try to figure out where to put it." And do, but then I'd be like, "Well, I really don't have the money to waste on, you know, printing up X amount of T-shirts and then hoping that they would sell." Or, you know, the reason that this. It was such a great thing was that I, like I said, a friend of mine owed me a favor and he printed the stuff up for free. So it was like, it was literally like I, I could fail and it, and I had a, I could fail and it was just wouldn't matter. Right. What would I, at the end, what would I stuck with another box of t-shirts sitting in the basement? That's fine. And I'll, you know, give them to somebody if I'd sell, Hey, I made the stupid t-shirt and here you go, you know, but just lucked out that it didn't do that for once you know but the the interesting thing too is when you think of all the incredible like bands that are known for their art yeah you eventually work with almost all of them 
And because the first three that I always think of is stones, right? Yeah. Yeah. Great. I know Land. that was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Is there any, I mean, is there any band that you, you'd want to work with that you haven't yet? Um, I'm trying to think like, I mean, there's plenty of bands that I want to work with that I haven't yet. Absolutely. Like, and there's some stuff that I've done that never made, that never saw the light of day because I was working with a licensing company and then contractually things changed. Yeah. yeah th- contractually things changed. And yeah. So I'd done some like Aussie stuff that I really liked that never really got out there in the world, which was really cool. I, I actually even did some sex pistol stuff that was really cool. Oh, and, and like, and like what a monumental task to kind of look at a majority, mostly Jamie Reed artwork and try to take it and kind of shift it, but still retain all this, you know, the same vibe that was, um, but there was some kind of cool stuff that came out of all that stuff too. But I did get to do Elton John stuff, which was, and that went out there in the world, which was awesome. That was through really? like Bravat. Yeah. Through like their light uh, license there. Yeah. Damn. And it was, Dude, but Elton it was John, so, that's huge. I, and I, you know, growing up, that was like one of those, you know, Elton John was one of those artists that I, you know, like my parents only had a couple records in the house, but Elton John was one of those records, you know? And yeah, like goodbye yellow brick road, like that, just that album cover and everything. I mean, yeah. geez, it's insane. Yeah. So it was just, and I, and I, you know, I've always loved Elton John. So that was really cool to kind of do that, you know, and, then, and, and, and having done the Rolling Stone stuff, it was a, it was a huge fan of that. And I was one that was thinking Colette and some of the stuff that I got to do was like Colette exclusive, which was really cool. So right before they closed, which was <sighs> fun. Yeah. So that was, um, I liked that as well. You know, it was like the, cause we could do a whole thing on retail cause I've got a lot of, <laughs> cause I've got a whole lot of thoughts having worked in house at bought four different places, four different retail. What other places you work retail at? So it was urban outfitters. Yep. Then, then, then echo unlimited, but that wasn't really technically retail, although they did have stores. And then I went back to urban and then I was at urban. And then I went to Victoria's secret. Yeah. And then so I was at Victoria's secret pink for, you know, a couple of years in New York oh, damn. and Ohio as the creative director for, um, for print for pink. And then I left pink and then went back, then went to anthropology. Dude. So like, I- I'm really serious. I stand by the, the first thing that I said when we started out, like you have made so much of people's culture and clothing and design that like, you're just the guy you're the you're the dude pulling the pulling the marionette strings man i i think it's funny when because i don't really i never really advertised that you know my sort of time at other i mean everybody that knows me knows that i was you know at certain places at certain times but like it's all i think for some people it's always like a little bit of a shock they're like wait a minute you were at anthropology well, how does that fit into the equation? Well, it's, you know, so yeah. it was a different aesthetic, but it was, you know, it was actually, that was fun. I learned, you know, it's I worked with a great group of people there and did a lot of stuff that totally is not in my normal wheelhouse. It's Here's same a- with pink. Same with pink. I learned a ton about just business and others and, and here and really adhering to a 
strict kind of aesthetic guideline, but also being able to shift it a little bit when I was at Victoria's Secret. Like, here's an honest question. How do you do the work that you love for others and and not get so burnt out that you can't do the work that you love for yourself? In the sense that, like, you know, you're participating more or less in the same mediums. Uh, I think I don't force, Try I try not to force anything. I try to give my own personal work space. Like I'm not like rapid fire or I don't put that pressure on myself, you know, mm-hmm. to be like, I must do more stuff. But I also use my personal work to, as like a way to almost like loosen up to get into my work for other people. If that mm. makes sense. Like if I'm, bl- if I'm blocked, like if I feel like I'm, you know, completely unable to generate anything that I'm happy with, I will, I'll just be like, okay, I'm not even gonna think about that right now. And I'm just going to like goof around with a bunch of stuff that I have scanned in that I've collected over the past couple of weeks that I know I want to do something with and I'll see what develops. I need that personal in order to do work for other clients. And I also need the client work to do my personal. So it's like, I've, I've figured out how to do that, that, figured out that balance, which is not easy because I've had, I've unsuccessfully done it before, but I've, I've figured out how to successfully do it now where I'm not completely fried and I know when to pull back if things aren't working and maybe switch gears in order to get inspired in some way. Yeah. I did a I did a whole series of things like early on in the pan in like when the pandemic started where I was like feeling like overwhelmed and kind of like not very inspired. And I thought and then but all of a sudden some one little thing hit me and I started doing some stuff and I just I ended up designing like eight to ten different designs that we'll never see the light of day but what i'll do is i'll go back in and i'll reference that and pull little layout bits and parts and other stuff and 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 throw them into other personal projects or client work you know yeah because i think that's like a a very difficult thing for a lot of creatives to do in the sense that they feel everything that they make they have to use and And also, you know, because I know my brother and some other folks will wrestle with this where it's like, you know, or a friend of mine's a TV writer and he writes for a big show and he's been trying to write his own thing, but he's so burnt out from writing for the show that he comes home and he's like, I don't want to fucking do this. He's like, I can't handle this. Well, that's, and that's one of the reasons that I, I had, before I left, like, you know, full-time office employment i thought to myself well i like if i don't do this now if i don't go out on my own now i don't know when i ever will and because i was running this kind of like you know 9 a.m to 6 30 7 o'clock shift come home dinner kind of hang out my kids are you know my kids at that point were kind of very self-sufficient Right. You know. Um, but then hop back on the computer at, you know, at, at, at 10 o'clock and then, you know, go till about two in the morning. And I don't know, 
what it was i think i was just compelled to, that i knew that like if i continued to kind of do it at this pace that i at some point i could kind of pull back and just work on my own stuff um and it and it and it actually kind of worked yeah and i i think that's that too in a nutshell is, is just the hardest thing to crack for so many people is is trying to find that balance and some people they'll you know i mean they'll just abandon what they're the best at because it was so bastardized by yeah. whatever it was that they were making yeah. a living off of. Yeah. You know, and, and not you're living get, the dream. Well, I mean, I'm trying to, and I'm very, um, I, I don't take it for granted. Yeah. At yeah. all that I am able to kind of have like, you know, essentially like my own schedule kind of build out my own world you know, which is very, you know, very, very lucky. And I always say like, cause people say, Oh, you work for yourself. I said, yeah, for now, you know, like <laughs> it's like, you know, because you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen. Like you there are no guarantees, right? Like, like when you're, you know, you're, you're, you're working for, you're, you know, you're, you're at the, and I, I also never wanted to be fully at the mercy of client work too. So to have that balance of like, a licensing thing and just my own little personal t-shirts, which really aren't, that's, it's not about like, I'm not living off of that. That's for sure. But like, you know, having that balance of other stuff in the mix is, um, I think has been really healthy for me to not, because if it were just client work, hmm. I I'd be like, just stressed about it constantly. And, 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 and freaking out, I think. Um, so the other stuff being able to be like, okay, this week, the only thing I'm concentrating on is I'm making, you know, as many Grateful Dead t-shirts as I possibly can to kind of send in for approval. And, and then eventually, um, you know, depending on what, what gets approved and what I like releasing it into the world, like I'll just, and I'll just do it. I'll sort of, I'll, I'll kind of compartmentalize, you know, in a lot of ways. And then what happens after that is I do all that stuff and I go and I kind of go back and I futz with it a little bit. And then I go, Oh, well, you know what? I'm going to put these off to the side. I don't love that, but I could see that there are kernels of things there that I know, you know, come hopefully if we're, you know, bands are touring again, like dead and company mm, tour geez. or, you know, somebody, another band I'm, I'm doing work for whatever uh, um, comes in the mix. Like I know that that would be better for them than it would be for this. So I just kind of like we'll put those things off to the side. So it's nice to have those little starters too, yeah. you know, as you're working and thinking about other trajectories, putting that stuff off to the side and, and, you know, having a little launching off point for, you know, cause there's nothing worse than you're like, you know, you're like, okay, I got this project and I have no idea how to uh, attack it. And you start, you're doodle, I'm doodling on paper and all this other stuff. Oh no, I have this other thing that I know that would work really yeah, to well. Pull, pull it from, pull, pull it. Yeah. 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 Do you yeah. see so yourself how, ever going into teaching later or? Absolutely not. I mean, who wants to <laughs> listen to me try to tell them what the to quickest do? quickest answer all night. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's funny. The, I, when I was in school, because it's, it, it's funny they say. So when I was in school, I thought, well, I should really have a backup plan. Right. And I should probably get my teaching certificate so I could like teach art to you know 
elementary through high school, whatever it might be, you know, primary. Because my my mom substitute taught, my dad substitute taught, my my mother's both of my mother's parents were teachers. My God uncle, both of my uncles on my on my mom's side, teachers. Like everybody was in education, and I am I was the absolutely the worst student in the entire world and the thought of me being in a you know in a school every day from you know 7 a.m to 3 p.m is like although i you know that's if if you were to say like you have to teach i'd want to teach like high school kids i i wouldn't want to teach like some college typography no way like I, i know plenty i know plenty of friends who have gone back to some people went back to Tyler, like, you know, uh, house industries guys taught at Micah for a while. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm, there's a couple things I know how, that I'm bad at. I'm a bad boss. I'm a, probably a bad teacher because I'm, I think so many things are so subjective mm. that like, I think, who, who am I to tell you what's wrong about whatever you're working with. I can tell you if it's good or I can tell you if I like, if I personally like it, but you know, somebody else, well, you know, who else is a bad teacher? Who's that? Scorsese. Scorsese used to be a teacher. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying, you don't have to be a good or, or bad yeah. teacher to teach. I think you're thinking also of the, you know, just the gentle pushback here of the yeah. traditional, teacher student sort of relationship Absolutely. training I curriculum am. syllabus achieve yeah. i grade yeah. yeah 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 i mean I'm, I'm i'm yeah and i'm not that organized that's fine they have but these like, things called teacher's assistants oh yeah uh, but like i you know <laughs> I, I i in those in those in all of my retail experiences like re, in-house retail yeah for the most part or you know apparel I always ended up in a somehow in a in a position of power, which was just always like I was like, how the hell did that happen? And I never thought I was a very good boss to the people, the people that worked for with me, mm-hmm. I think in general, and you could, you know, we could find them and we could ask them. I'm still <laughs> friends with a lot of them. They. I think they liked me because I was pretty kind of chill and I kind of let everybody kind of do their thing. But the people that I reported to thought I was the worst employee because I wasn't, because I wasn't the guy that was constantly completely beating them down on a daily basis and making them miserable because nobody, nobody wants that, you know? So, I never thought that I would actually be anybody to, I mean, I could probably impart a little bit of wisdom, maybe for like 45 minutes to somebody. But other than that, I don't, you know, I think that people would probably ask for their money back if they took a class of mine. My name's Jeremy Dean. This is my master class. (laughs) (laughs) We got 10 minutes. Let's go. You know, (laughs) take a bunch of stuff, crush it up together and put it in a thing and then see what happens. That's yeah. That's like, you know, like I, you know, my, my, my thought process is so, I, I don't feel like I'm at, I have any, any, 
uh, I'm not any better or, uh, you know, and hopefully not too much worse than anybody else. So like, you know, what, what are you going to get out of it from me? You know, well, humble <laughs> as you are. Well, this was good. Yeah. Good. Thanks for, for, oh. for humoring me here. I, of course, I mean, of course we've talked about this forever, right? <laughs> but thank you so much. It was really good chatting. It was, you're very welcome. I really appreciate you having me on. I right, see you. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We're edited by Brendan Finn and we're produced by Blamo Media. You can follow along with us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast and leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. Yes, I don't really get reviews either, but they help the show and they help people find it. So do it for the B. If you want even more Blamo, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo to join the Blam fam. You get access to additional interviews, which there are tons of now, a community Slack, special events, and more. And best of all, you're supporting the show. Ah, doesn't it feel good? All right, we'll see you soon.